Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today our psalm is number 146. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, O my soul. I will praise Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. It's a very straightforward and simple text, and yet a hard one to hear. Here is the simple message. God is king. Praise be to God, and only to God. Earthly governments are not king. They are not God. They will not sustain you. And yet, as Christians, we make idols of them anyway, don't we? That's the thing we'll examine here. So praise Yahweh, a common theme throughout the Psalms and really throughout Scripture, uh, that Yahweh is good, that he has done all these marvelous things for us, which we'll get a particular list of near the end of the Psalm. I will praise Yahweh as long as I live, have my being, my soul, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, as we read from the book of Deuteronomy, and as Jesus will then quote as he teaches and preaches during his ministry. Verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Christianity in the land of America, and you might be listening to this podcast somewhere else, and maybe you share this problem in your land, or maybe you don't. In America, a lot of Christians fall under the assumption that the government is good, and that the government is godly, and will take care of us. American Christianity even to tie those two things together into one term is is foreign to Scripture. But so is God and country Christianity, which is another name that it gets called sometimes. When presidents campaign for power, they will often campaign with a salvific kind of a campaign, that they are going to rescue certain oppressed people, whether it's minority groups or religious groups or whoever it might be. They're going to fight for this cause. 
and that salvation mantra is is certainly visible in their campaigning. 1 Samuel chapter 8 God was king. God was king over his people, but they rejected him. They demanded that they be given a man to be their king so that they could be like the neighbors around them. They wanted to be like the other nations. What's the problem with that request? Well, there's multiple. I mean, the first is that they're rejecting the Lord and they're rejecting his rule. But also note their desire. They want to be like the pagans. And so, as the Lord concedes, consents, he gives them what they want, the desire of their wicked heart. He lets them have a governor, a king. He warns them, though, before before finalizing it, he warns them of what kings would do to them. First Samuel 8, you can read the list. It includes taxes. It includes taking your sons and sending them off to war. It includes uh, taking your daughters as his servants and so forth. It's a list of things that still happen to this day. So 1 Samuel 8 views government as a bad thing. Romans 13, however, reminds us that every governing authority has their authority, their power from the Lord. And in this way, we are to honor them. We are to obey them as far as they are giving us commands that don't contradict, counteract what God has said. But then when you go back to Revelation, you get the picture that the devil is seeking to tear down Christians in in Revelation chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, he raises up earthly governments and he raises up false teachers, the two beasts, in order to be his allies in the fight against Christians. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. We could have a a genuinely decent fellow become our president in this land, and yet we should not put our trust in him. We should not put our hope in him because he can't save us. Could he make our earthly life better for a season? Sure. And for this, Paul actually teaches us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray. Pray for your king so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Scripture teaches us to honor the emperor, pray for the emperor, obey what they give us to do, again, as long as it's not in conflict with God's word. But at the same time, it teaches us not to put our trust in them, not to put our hope in them, not to idolize them, but even instead to be cautious and to know that we are not actually of their kingdoms. Jesus Christ telling Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world, and you are a part of his kingdom. It doesn't matter to me if you're a citizen in the land of China, or in Australia, or in Europe, or in the United States, or or in any place. You are my brother or my sister in Christ. Thanks be to God. We are under different earthly kings for a season. That may come, that may go. Certainly has changed throughout human history quite frequently. And will continue to do so until the day when Christ returns. We are one nation. That's 1 Peter 2. We are a holy nation. You and I, wherever you are. 
together with every Christian under heaven. Thanks be to God. So this man, this prince, interesting the word prince is used instead of king. Perhaps the idea already is that the people might be seeing the the failures of the king and looking forward to when his son takes the throne. Oh, we'll put our hope in him. He might do better. Yeah, don't do that because he will die and whatever he has plotted for himself will fail. It will fall. It will not endure because he did not point you to Christ and Christ is the only thing that endures. You could build a great tower, Tower of Babel. It will come down. You could build a great empire. I think of Alexander the Great. It will come down. As soon as he died, his kingdom's divided into four. And then that further gets divided and destroyed and all kinds of things. So instead, the psalm teaches us to focus ourselves on God. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. So remembering the promises that God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remembering that Jacob then becomes Israel, Israel is the chosen nation, God's holy people, that the Lord has provided for, cared for, given the promised land, driven out their enemies from before them, just as the Lord provides for you, cares for you, has driven out your enemies of sin, death, and the devil. He has done it. He is our hope because he gives us all that he has. He has given us his very life as he laid down his life to take away our sins on the cross. This, this God is the one who made heaven and earth. No earthly king can say such a thing. This God made the sea and every creature that lives in it, even creatures that perhaps we have yet to encounter that may live in the depths of the ocean somewhere. He keeps faith forever. It doesn't take much to see that even some of Israel's greatest kings, I should probably say Judah too, uh, Israel doesn't have great kings after the kingdom divides, but anyway, the greatest kings of God's earthly nations, they often turn their backs on God even before they die, like King Solomon did. First Kings 11, I can't even guarantee you that we'll see Solomon in paradise. He so abandons the Lord. The Lord, verse 7, executes justice for the oppressed. So those who are are wronged in this world, he is the right judge. He gives food to the hungry. He feeds everyone. I think of John 15 here, Jesus feeding the 5,000 as they were on their way traveling for a feast in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, they've been listening to his teaching, so he feeds them miraculously from just five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Slavery in Egypt, our imprisonment to sin, death, and the devil, and this kingdom of darkness he has rescued us from. You can certainly talk about many of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, uh, rescue from various diseases in which people would feel imprisoned within their own body, especially demon possession, as you really would feel imprisoned within your own flesh. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. And Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. So those who have been either humbled themselves, and so he raises them up, or who have been humiliated, uh, connects to oppressed from before. 
Yahweh loves the righteous. And we know righteousness from Genesis 15. Abraham believed in God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Picked up in the entire epistle to the, the Romans and the New Testament from Paul that righteousness is faith. Yahweh loves those who trust him, which again is the theme of this psalm. So family conversation point here, who does this all sound like? And these are the works that Jesus does as Jesus rescues the oppressed. Beatitudes come to mind, Matthew 5, as he feeds the hungry both with earthly daily bread, but also with his very body and blood given for us. That's what we talk about the Lord's Supper. He frees the prisoners as he frees us from Satan's kingdom. He opens the eyes of the blind. He gives faith even to us sinners. Verse 9, Yahweh watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So more of what Yahweh does. Sojourners are outsiders. They're foreigners, aliens to the land. So you live in a place and somebody comes and he's kind of wandering through. He might stop and stay for a few weeks, a few months, a few years. And as he does, what do you do? Well, as, as God's people, as his community, they were told to, instructed to, care for that man. The widow and the fatherless, so orphans as we would call them probably more often today, were also protected classes. So you have the woman whose husband has passed away, who will provide for her? God instructed his people to provide for that woman. See to it in your community that the widows are cared for. Make sure they have a place where they can live. Make sure that they have food on the table. Bring them to your table. And again, the orphan. Now, here's a question for family conversation. Whatever country you live in, who typically cares for these groups of people? How is your country's structure? Unfortunately, and I do say unfortunately, in America, this is done by the government as many things are. We've idolized our government for such a long time. We have given them so much authority in realms that government really doesn't belong. And I say that intentionally because this is to be the job of the church. This is to be the Christian's task. But instead, we have a, a welfare state where our government provides for all these. So they welcome immigrants from all over the world, and then the government foots the bill. They provide through things like Medicare to care for our aging population. They provide homes, orphanages within various communities for children who have no family. They take up a foster care network, and they have this entire system of like family and child services that provides for these children who have no place to go. What a tragic loss this is to the church. It is a huge loss of our ability to preach the gospel. It is a huge loss of our ability to show the love of God to our neighbor. Somebody else will do that. We've outsourced it, just like Americans love to outsource many things. In the New Testament era, in Roman culture, if a father had a child born and didn't want to raise the child, he simply abandoned that child, left them somewhere on the streets to die. 
Christians became known for actually rescuing these children, welcoming them into their own homes. Sometimes the child had been abandoned long enough or neglected in such a way that there was nothing that could be done. The child would die pretty quickly, and then the Christians had adopted the kid in and would, would give them a burial. But in other cases, they raised the child as their own. Talk about an opportunity to share the gospel. Imagine the woman in your community who is in need, and you, as your church community, whoever goes to your church together, uh, you know, 15 households, you all provide for her. You care for her. You give her company. You give her the opportunity to have a place where she can go for help and support. You make sure she gets to eat every day. Do you think you'd have opportunities to share your hope with her? But when when that's taken away, when that's done by some outside agency, I just, I grieve. I weep that we've lost such opportunities. Anyway, may the Lord someday grant us the ability to do so again. May he grant us the generous hearts, even if it's not in these ways, but in any way that we can, to show that love and care for those who are in need. Because Yahweh will reign forever, and we know what that reign brings. It brings eternal life to all who believe in Jesus Christ, to all generations. He will reign, and he does. And he has provided a kingdom, even for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise, praise.